Hey, this is Susie Vinnick, and you are listening to Talking Blues. Well, tell me about your last week. You said you've been busy. Yeah, so, gosh, since, since the end of March, I've been doing these online concerts um, since the pandemic kind of kicked in. And the last week, I had I had five shows. <laughs> it was crazy. I had four online shows, and uh, and then one live, private, in person, just to a you know a socially distanced audience and stuff. But yeah, it, it was it's good. It's working. It's good. How how do you find that? How do you find relating to staring at a computer screen or a camera or something? Well. Um, you know, it's just another skill. I've actually been doing online concerts since 2015. Not like as regularly as I've been doing now with the pandemic, but um, um, yeah, people chat. So some, so the my weekly shows have been on a website called streetjelly.com. So people see me, I don't see them, but I see what they throw in the chat box. So I'm able to converse and and then they respond with a chat it's not always in real time there's a few seconds delay but um you know the connection has been has been amazing just with with uh we live out in the country so I don't see a lot of people so even before pandemic like when I'm not on the road I'm home I see my partner James and I see our cats and occasionally some of the friends locally or the people in town when I buy groceries but so I've kind of no, I want to say get used to it because I miss people, but, um, yeah, just, just getting to do the, to do the weekly shows and connecting with people and continue playing during the pandemic has been a really great thing. And with the concerts I did in the last week, um, a couple of them were on, um, via zoom so people could register so I could actually see my audience sometimes and, and, and there was a host for the, for the one show. And so she would just unmute people and, or they could unmute themselves and they could clap and cheer at the end of a song. And so there's a little bit of interaction. I mean, obviously not in the same room, breathing the same air, but so that, that's, that helps too. So it's nice. (laughs) I often hear about musicians talking about feeding off the audience and, and playing differently because of the way the, the people react to their music. Can it get to that point using Zoom or anything? Like, do you feel that kind of connection, or is it not really like that at all? Um, it's well. I mean, you're in the same room, the same energy is being bounced around. So, so it's a little, it's different. But like with with the online shows I do, I invite people to request songs. I try to get them to do it before the show, so I can practice of it if I need to you know if it's something I haven't played in a while but um but it's it's just different you know it's just and 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 I'm super grateful for it because it's enabled me to continue working continue playing continue connecting and making a little bit of money to help to help out when all the gigs are wiped out so it's yeah I don't I don't think it would ever get to the same place as being in a room um or you know in a field you know with with or an outdoor venue kind of thing Um, even though there's no roof like say you play a festival outside but there's still the personal there's just an energy that's a little different but I still I still like them do you think you've changed as a musician playing this way uh 
it's it's helped me grow in some ways that um like i mentioned i i've invited my my fans um to request songs um so it's i mean it's helped me develop a skill i've been learning some old songs that either I've never played before or I haven't played for a long time since I like I played in this duo when I was a teenager called the Sultans and we toured small town Saskatchewan and played like we played bars on weekends and so you do a ton of cover tunes right so there's some songs that like I sing uh uh could I have this dance (laughs) <laughs> that was popular with Aunt, by Anne Murray in the 80s, I yeah, think, yeah. or 70s, 70s or 80s, probably 70s. And so it's one that one of my, my actually, it's my, I joke, she's my my godmom, um, Doris. I call her my fairy godmother. And she she requested it because it was a song they sang at their wedding. And I thought, you know, I'm going to pull that out. I mean, it's totally, if if you're one of my blues fans, it would it'd probably put you off, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like if you're a diehard blues fan, it's like, what's she doing singing? this kind of music but it's it's um but it's been fun like i've been i've been pulling out a lot of old kind of classic rock and stuff that i would not normally really have the time or the venue to play in normal concert times where i'm doing folk and blues kind of venues so i've been learning like kim mitchell and april wine and some tom cochran and and uh pulling out old three dog night and wow it's just some of it's my choice, some of it's fan requests. Um, and some of it is even uh, one fan requested uh, music by another Canadian performer named Michael Friedman, who is uh, Vancouver area based. He's actually in Gibson's BC now, but he's a killer finger style guitar player, singer, songwriter. And um, so the song she requested was in this lute tuning. So it challenged me like I had to, Michael was really great because he, he sent me some there, there, uh, I know him, like I've met him before just a little bit, but he actually sent me the suggested chord shapes and, and the, the tuning and just some notes. It was still tricky. Like, cause it, it was just different chord shapes and having to get my head around playing, playing what my ear hears, but shaping it differently. So it's cool. Like it's posed me some challenges, um, as a musician and uh, and also, like I say, living in the country, our internet, um, as you hear about, you know, many rural uh, people struggling with, with low yeah. download and upload speeds. So <laughs> my first, one of my first shows, I'd gotten the National uh, Arts Center grant. They were doing, um, can- I want to call it Canada Presents. Oh my God, I feel like a jerk forgetting. But um Anyway, I got one of their grants to do a show and I did it on Facebook from the old church where I live. And, and it was just this pixelated, brutal, I kind of jokingly call it like a Picasso visual <laughs> and sonic experience because the up, our upload speed is only one megabyte per second, or it was at that point. So it, it really was challenging and I could not use Facebook or Instagram or any of those type sites as a vehicle for broadcast because our internet so slow, but I found this other website that was a little friendlier with the pokey speed and, and, uh, over time, um, you know, I managed to figure out things like something as simple as having an ethernet cable plugged into your computer, as opposed to using the Wi-Fi and right. makes a more consistent signal and uh, upgrading my, my little mixer. I mean, I didn't have extra money kicking around to do that with no gigs, but, but I thought, well, it's going to provide me 
with a little extra work. So I got that upgraded and did a little digging in my, in my neighborhood and found this wonderful little mom and pop, um, internet company just up from up the road. And they, uh, for a very reasonable price got me upgraded. So I went from one to five megabytes per second upload to 10 to 25. So I'm comparable to the big city. <laughs> so it's good. It's good. You know, so it's, it's how it's, and my fans have told me that like they haven't had to refresh and things. So, so there's all these little things you learn and there's still always something to learn. I can always. imagine. So what's, what's it like picking or re rediscovering a song you used to do many, many years ago? Like what's it like <laughs> to play that Iron Murray song for you? <laughs> well, it's, um, well, it's fun because it's it's in the memory coffers. I remember I had the lyrics in front of me. I didn't even have to look at them because because <laughs> it was in there from doing these these gigs with my buddy John years ago. And I did it. I did it a little different stylistically. I didn't do it the the waltzy way. I kind of rocked it up a bit, and so I kind of take it, interpret it, do it my way, and 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 have some fun with it. Which I, I think I'm kind of known for doing that. Um, uh, over the years, I mean, I have I've, I've got a kind of bossa nova Latin flavored version of rock and roll by Led Zeppelin that I slightly changed the melody to a to a major seven instead of a dominant seven, and it slowed it down a bit. So you hear the lyrics, and it's still it still has the well, it doesn't have the Led Zeppelin rock and flavor, but it's just a different interpretation of it. So so I'm having fun with that. I mean, and most of the shows I'm just doing with voice and guitar. A lot of online streamers will do, um, they'll use a looper and, 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 uh, drum machine and like, or they'll do tracks and then sing and play to tracks. And it's like kind of karaoke, not my thing. It's fine yeah. if it works for them and their audience is like that. I'm kind of like a folky online. Well, I want to say folky. Well, it's kind of folky. It's acoustic guitar. <laughs> I don't know, folky and, and it's raw, organic and, and real. And yeah. So it was, it was cool doing that, that song for my godmom and she liked my, my version and, and, um, and it's, yeah. And I think, I think it affects people too. Like it's, it's helped people doing these shows as well, because, um, <laughs> I get emails, I get emails from them just saying they're really grateful that they know what day of the week it is when Susie's on. It's Wednesdays at seven o'clock <laughs> Eastern Standard Time, right? On this website. And so they know it's Wednesday. And and just having something regular when we're so, you know, we're getting back into winter months and this isolation again. So Well, it's it's strange because you know, it's I'm lucky that every so often I still get to experience and witness live performances for the right. work that we do in video and all usually um empty room but but i get to witness some great musicians play on stage and we get to film it or whatever and and when i'm doing so when i'm in that room listening to it i think well, you know how lucky am i to be able to do this because you know it's been a long time i remember once the first time i heard live music was going to see um sisters euclid oh and my it, god it had been <laughs> months since i'd seen live music and it was eye-opening you know it was just amazing to me that I could experience this again and, and remembered how what I missed but a lot of people don't have that so the only connection they would have would be through the internet and Facebook live or whatever and 
and um, I, you know, I feel really lucky. But it's, it is important to have that live experience. I think. Yeah, I, I, I mean, music has been there uh, through so much of time, and it, it ties us together, and it builds our memories. It blows my mind sometimes, like to hear a, a song on the radio or something as I'm driving, and then the song comes on, and it takes me back to a moment when I first heard that song and I, I kind of remember it where I was and it's, it's so powerful. So, so I'm sure people are missing it. I mean, I think some people are getting screen, getting tired of staring at screens and, um, so, you know, again, I, I think, I think more folks were doing, um, some, some outdoor concerts in the summer. So I think that's, that helped a bit, even though you had to sit socially distanced and there were less people and, and, you know, it's so weird, like watching movies now and, and where there's crowds of people or watching a video. I saw an old Foo Fighters concert, I think from one of the Paloozas or something and, and where people are going crazy and bouncing and it's like, you, you can't do that. It's COVID, but it, oh no, it's before COVID. I know, but it's just weird, right? Mm-hmm. Just, uh, like, it's amazing how our minds have just changed. You think, well, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, it's so, so weird. Uh, how about those sisters, Euclid? Uh, oh my goodness. Yes. They are, um, I, I've been uh, seeing them. God. I, okay, so I met James Dean in 2005. So I started going to see them in 2004 at, at the um, the Orbit Lord, Room. Yeah. And it was like my musical treat for the week. Um, and then James and I started seeing each other, my partner James, and I didn't tell him about, about them. It was kind of my <laughs> thing, right? And then, uh, and then and finally I, I, let him, I let him come with me one night and... Uh, um, and then I never saw him again. <laughs> he fell in love with Kevin Bright's guitar playing and he and Kevin get along like a house on fire. So I remember you introduced me to Kevin's name when you worked with him on your album. Ah. You said, I, I did, I did something with Kevin Bright. I had no idea who Kevin Bright was. Oh my gosh. Cool. And, yeah. And it was just like, Oh, who is this person? And and I've had the great fortune of working with him a number of times since then, but like, I know how thrilled you were to be working with him. Was it on the 33 Stars album? Yeah, 33 Stars. It's funny because initially a lot of folks were using Kevin and I was I was kind of like, and the producer suggested it and I was like, but everyone else is using it. I don't want every record, you know, to sound the same. <laughs> and, and so I was a bit resistant initially. Um, I knew his playing a bit. It was before I started going to see him. And, um, and then Danny played me... Uh, a track uh, called All Things Can Change off of the quartet record that Kevin played on. And it made me cry. Like it wheedled its way into my heart. And I went, okay, yes, totally. He's there. So <laughs> he is, he's probably, he's, he is up there as one of my favorite guitar players in the world. And he's, he's, he's just so incredibly gifted and prolific and kind. And I just feel so, so blessed that I getting to, to witness, uh, watch him play is fun and listening like something otherworldly. I just feel like I've just got this in and that the whole entire world should know Kevin's playing because he's just, he's amazing. Yeah. And it is otherworldly. So because it's otherworldly, when you work with him, what do you learn from that experience? Um, gosh, I just, 
what do I learn? <laughs> I just shake. I just learn how to shake my head more. Like I can't. What's, what did you just? What did you just play? Oh my god! <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you know, um, my ears. I mean, it's it's my ears get to listen to him how he treats stuff and and uh, if it's my own show, or let's say like it's a show, sometimes. I feel like the little bit of pressure because I have to be on and get ready to sing. So I might not be able to listen in the same way as I would, as I would like sitting in the audience at, at the orbit room and listening to the sisters playing or, right. and I mean, that orbit room gig has been gone for so long. I, I just go back to it because we don't get out to see as much live music um, living out here in the country, like even yeah. before COVID. But, um, you know, I listen to him a lot and I know at the voice of his guitar playing, we were sitting in a cafe once in Toronto so before we moved out here at the Butler's Pantry. I remember in Ronsi and having breakfast with uh, a couple friends. And there were these two guys at the table next to us. And there was some music playing in the background. And the guys were commenting on the music. And I'm like, mm, that's, I'm pretty sure that's Kevin. And the guys were like, no, it's Jeff Beck. And, blah, blah, blah. and then James was even like, no, I think it's Jeff Beck. And then the server's like, oh, I don't know. I'll go check. And it was Kevin. I was right. It's like, I know his voice of playing. I, I love it. So yeah. he's just so distinctive to me. So yeah, he's, yeah. he's something else. Um, I was going to ask you, you, you referred to this a little bit about touring in Saskatoon. Tell me how music came into your life. I know you were, I know you played in the school band and you, you played <laughs> tenor saxophone or something. <laughs> I did. But how did school, uh, sorry, how did music come into your life? So, um, so I'm from Saskatoon. I grew up there and, um, I mean, my parents didn't play instruments or anything, but they had music on in the kitchen. My young, my older brother took guitar lessons. So I, and I had friends that would younger friends that took piano lessons and I saw these things as not, not like consciously in my face as possibilities. And dad had this old guitar sitting in his closet tucked away behind the clothes that he never ever really saw him pull it out or anything and um so I remember taking the sneaking the guitar out the babysitter was over and I was in mom and dad's room and I took the guitar out and put it on my lap I didn't know how it worked I didn't know you had to <laughs> fret the chords and things like that but I sat with it and and strummed it across my lap and I just remember that and then put it back and I would go occasionally to lessons as my bro my brother's lessons. I would just sit outside. And so as a little one, seeing these possibilities, um, I was about nine. And uh, <laughs> I like to joke. It's it's kind of a joke, but not. I'm, I'm sort of klutzy and not um, very able-footed when it comes to dancing and stuff. And I'm of Ukrainian heritage. So I took this, took Ukrainian dancing lessons and I loved it. I loved being up there, but I don't think, um, I was in great time with other people or just didn't have the moves <laughs> anyways. And I, I wasn't enjoying it as much. And so I think I said something to mom about not doing it anymore. And, and, uh, she told me when, when I was older that I, I, I think it probably humored them no, in a loving way <laughs> to watch me dance anyways. But, but my friend Dougie and I, 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 I was a, a tomboy and my best bud when I was a kid was this guy from two doors over Doug. Keller and we were talking and he was telling me his his good friends played drums and guitar and I said well, we should start a band I'll learn how to play guitar and you can sing and so I said to mom hey can I take guitar lessons and and uh we had this guitar kicking around my brother wasn't playing anymore 
And she said, sure. So, so she found uh, the Saskatoon Guitar College and my first guitar teacher's name was Lynn McKinnon. I'd love to see her or, or connect with her. I don't even know. I don't know where she is or anything, but uh, yeah, she was my teacher for a year and she had to let me go. She says, I've taught you everything I know. Wow. <laughs> Find you another teacher. So I was nine, 10 years old and, and, and I loved it. I took to, to, to music and playing like a fish to water. It just was something that really resonated with me. It wasn't like, it wasn't like I had stars in my eyes. It wasn't like, I'm going to be a rock star. I mean, I guess being nine and wanting to start a band, I'm not sure exactly <laughs> what that was about, but, um, but, um, I, I just something that made me feel good. It's something that made me feel whole. I don't know. I, I kind of liken it sometimes to drinking water and having to eat and sleep, but it's just like music was that kind of a part of me. So, um, did you get that immediately? Like, did you feel that as soon as you started taking lessons? Yeah. I mean, I, I practiced and I spent time, I spent hours and hours alone in, in mom and dad's basement, um, singing to the rumpus room wall. I think I just liked the resonance I got and I was learning these old, all these old songs. Like, could I have this dance? And, and country roads is one of the first ones which <laughs> on Denver's, um, you know, all, all of these songs and it just was a friend to me. It kept me company and, and, uh, something that really resonated and I loved, and I gravitated towards music. Um, again, and maybe not so consciously. I, I would just, I remember I was at my sis, little sister's baseball game. She was probably six. I would have been six or seven or I would have been nine or 10. And there was a band jamming in the portable just behind the ball diamond and I, I went over and sat on the steps. I almost felt guilty. Like I shouldn't be there or something, but there was this music going on and they were live and they were musicians and they were probably like grade sevens or grade eights or something that were just jamming in this portable at night. And just, I just remember like feeling excited to hear this music. And, and, uh, so when more and more opportunities kind of opened up as I was getting older, like I started guitar at nine, took up, played in the school band at, at 11, I learned saxophone. And so that was really cool because that was like a different slice of music than what I was listening to. More concert band pieces, a little bit more classical. And, and um, so it opened my ears to some other music that I may not have been as open to because I was actually playing some. Um, and then in high school, I, I was in high school, I skipped a grade. So I ended up getting into high school a bit earlier, but I uh, joined, I was in the Lions band. So I played concert band there, concert band music. So that was more music. And then there was a jazz band as well that I played in and um, played guitar in that. And when I got in high school, there was, and I also went to music camp in the summer too. It was the Kistner Jazz Camp. And they would bring up, clinicians um from the states from canada and some heavy heavy players like when i got older and saw who they were it's like, this is amazing the work that these guys are doing and they've coming to this this music camp in saskatchewan um so so it's like music was was just fed me and then i uh started playing bass in in the grade nine and in, in stage band there were two guitar players 
Kevin Colo, who knew all the jazz chords, and I I just knew the kind of folkier chords. So, <laughs> so when there was a bass laying there, I said, "Hey, could I? Would it be okay?" I said to my music teacher, Mr. England, "Would it be all right if I uh, learned bass?" And he's like, "Sure, that'd be great." So he let me take the bass home, and I got to learn a new instrument, which ended up being my main instrument for 17 years, from like age 13 to 30. Well, what happened to the tennis saxophone? Um, oh, I have two of them on a shelf, and <laughs> I played it through high school, and in, I'd play it um, in stage band. We would try occasionally doing a song or co- jazz combo without a bass because I was a bass player with it, right. and I would play. They, I'd get to do lead on saxophone sometimes, um, but I just kind of let it go, I guess. When I was twenty, and when I moved from on uh, Saskatchewan to Ontario, I brought it with me, but I never. Or did I even bring it? I don't know. I just didn't play it as often. And um, I have two of them. And it makes me think of Kevin because Kevin Bright, because Kevin, I think, played bass clarinet. Now, I don't know if he played it in university or if he just played it through high school and and that. But he's incorporated it into his his, uh, Johnny Goldtooth project and created music using it. So... I don't know. It's still there. I've still got a, hopefully a couple good weeks left in me, so I might be able to pull it out and play. And if it comes easily, then maybe I'll figure out a way. It's fun. That's another thing that this the pandemic has kind of allowed for me is to uh, figure out some recording things. I, I worked in Pro Tools years ago just a bit. I dabbled in it a bit, enough to be able to get tracks down and send them to people to record. And then I stopped for like eight years for whatever reason I don't know exactly probably because you're busy touring I yeah you know what I think I think that that's it I just on the road so much that it's just not for me it was just wasn't easy to switch gears that way so with the pandemic I've done um a little bit of work in in pro tools again and uh I'm uh expecting to do I've got some recording that I need to do for some other folks so so I I as I get to know Pro Tools again a little bit, maybe I'll be able to figure something out and uh, with the saxophone and figure out a way to incorporate it in. I don't know. When you decided to pick up the bass, I know you never dropped the guitar entirely, but you, you focused more on the bass. Was that, why was that? I think there were just more opportunities for me as a, as a bassist. Cause I, so I picked it up in grade nine and so that was for junior stage band and then we had a junior jazz combo so that was another vehicle for me to be playing it and then in grade 10 11 same sort of thing I had those vehicles to play it in and then I connected with some friends um one of my childhood friends Tim Kulikin was a drummer and he reached out to me, I think Timmy must have reached out to me and said, hey, I've been jamming with this guy, Keith Reed, and he sings and plays guitar. Do you want to play bass with us? And so I said, sure. And and we uh, got together and, and would go to this open stage and play up on stage as a trio. I have a photograph, actually. My I think my brother took of, it, of me. And I've got my little white bass, my little Ibanez uh, Roadstar bass on and... and uh, <laughs> I'm just like it's it's cute because I'm on stage and I'm just like giddy it's all and and um I learned my I remember them teaching the boys Tim and, and Keith teaching me my first 
Jimi Hendrix tune. Um, Which was? Was Hey Joe. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, and playing that at the jam and some of Keith's originals. And and um, my best bud at the time was uh, Michelle Fair. And, and she, well, she actually, she wasn't Fair. She was Michelle Lemke at that time. That's her married name. And her older brother was a singer-songwriter. And he was a heart fan and I was a huge heart fan in my teens among other, some other artists too. But, um, I knew dog and butterfly. So Keith would do all the singing when we did the jam, but Terry would back me up and I got up and sang dog and butterfly. He played guitar and I sang it. I would be terrified Mako for like knowing I was going to get up and sing. I, I was, was terrified for a half an hour before. Cause it was just a different, there's a vulnerability with that. I'm changing the from bass to singing, but I'm just walking through the memory. So yeah, yeah. But so yeah. I mean, yeah. the other thing is that you you're also an amazing vocalist. So <laughs> how did that come about? Is it because of singing "Dog and Butterfly" and like that? That I can imagine how intimidating that would be to become a singer and be up front and whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, I um, it's I like when I first learned my guitar at nine. Um, it was, it was kind of neat how they taught us. I mean, they taught us the notes on the guitars, but they would give us song lyrics with the chords over top. Right. And, uh, so it was neat to be able to play a song and accompany myself and sing along. Cause I, the melody oftentimes would just stick in my head. I'd sing these songs in the basement and, and, uh, just kind of for myself. And sometimes my mom would come and listen and my, my cousin got married and she had a open stage for that. So I got up and sang, the rose and then even in my elementary school um i had some my grade oh god is it grade my grade five teacher mr Haneni, was a piano player and and so they would um, just encourage me to to come and sing at mass or come and play guitar along with them at mass and and it was really great they no one no one uh I mean, I remember the opportunities just getting up, getting up to, to, to play with them. So, so I always played guitar and, and wrote and listened, listened and would write a little bit of music. And, um, it just bass was something that kept me busier with like, with high school, especially with the stage band, the, the combo. I also played in Dixieland band. So I played bass in that. And wow. <laughs> yeah. um, at what point did you feel comfortable with your singing? Um, you know what? I still get butterflies, Mako. Really? <laughs> it's been, yeah, I do. <laughs> I mean, I've been singing sort of publicly since, um, you know, like making some money from it. And that's since I was 15. I'm 50 now. So I still get butterflies and it's okay. It's a pain in the butt, but it's, uh, but it's okay. I've kind of figured out some systems that make it, make it, uh, easier. I hear that about pro athletes and that, that there's some that, that, throw up before a game so it's like okay that's not that bad for me but well i remember I was, hearing greg allman was like physically ill before like all his gigs which just surprised me yeah it's it's uh it may not be something that people will talk about their artists will talk about and there may be some like i think I don't know if it was via the Gordon Lightfoot tribute shows we used to do at Hughes Room and Gord would come and hang out with us upstairs if we asked him if he got nervous or if I just read a, an interview with him where he talked about um, 
not to being nervous. Some people are really confident and just get up and do it because it's what they got to do. Mm-hmm. But at what, so if you're nervous, how, when does that feeling go away? About three seconds into the first song, usually. Wow. <laughs> it's like I forget or five seconds in, but it's just sort of leading up to that moment. And there's times, um, I, I remember I did a show, um, and I was a bit off. Like, I, I think I had a bug or something, just a little bug of some sort. So I was a bit wobbly for the show, like physically, um, there was something weird going on. So, so I kind of have to watch like as far as lyrics would go or what songs I'd choose and just try not to think about that at what point did you think music is what I want to pursue um you know I mean I had considered going to school after high school going off to music college and um just continuing in the world of music not thinking about it even you know, from making X amount of dollars a year doing music, it was just like, I just want to do music, whatever. And, (laughs) and I mean, and I was seeing like, I was able to make some money doing it as, as a teen touring, like as touring the, 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 that was, yeah, it was another uh, touring the bars with my friend, John and the, the jazz combo occasionally got little um, gigs here and there. I'm playing at the exhibition and, so I could see that there's it's possible to make money, and I I also I worked at a gas station as a cashier, like making five bucks an hour. So, so it was way more fun <laughs> getting out and playing music. So, so um, and then I I had uh, a couple things happen to me in my late teens. Well, a couple things. A thing, I I um uh, I had a I got pregnant and um. I ended up giving up my child for adoption and it sort of changed my world a bit. And I ended up um, connecting with this musician, Tony De Teodoro, who was living in Saskatoon. We met through um, a performer that had hired us both. And we didn't know, I knew of Tony, but we didn't know each other at the time. And um, John, his name was Back Alley John. That was the performer's name that hired Tony and I. And we played with uh, John for a number of shows in Saskatoon. And then uh, Tony ended up moving back to Ottawa. And we we did a trio um, outside of Back Alley, the work with Back Alley John. Sorry, I'm not being clear on this. Um, So Tony and I did a couple gigs with Back Alley John. Right. And then we liked playing music with each other. So we said, well, let's do a a trio together. So we, we worked with a drummer, Craig Khalil, who, uh, and we did this trio and we did a bunch of shows together as a trio and it was really fun. And Tony is just a great player. And he's, he, I really grew to love in my late teens, the the guitar playing a Stevie Ray Vaughan and Tony played so much like that sound and that energy and that vibe. So it was really exciting for me. And I also got to sing some songs that I was just kind of playing for myself or would play that I didn't. Yeah. So anyway, Tony moved back to Ottawa and we kept in touch. It was always, we've always just been friends. And he, he said, Hey, Suze, I've got work all summer. If you want to come and play bass with me, that'd be great. I said, let's do it. And I bought my my ticket. I was working at a gas station. That was it. Didn't have any other sort of music prospects and moved to Ottawa for the summer. 
we played a ton of shows and then I ended up moving to Ottawa. So was it with Tony that you started playing blues or were you doing blues before? So I was playing blues before. I, I forgot to mention every Saturday um, at Bud's on Broadway, there was a blues jam, the jam that I had done before with Keith and Tim and sung Hey Joe or played Hey Joe and sung Heart and Heart, uh, Dog and Butterfly by Heart. That place ended up burning down. James um, has a term for that called financial combustion. <laughs> who thinks, um, right. Anyway. So there was no open stage for us that we could legally go to as underage kids. But then this one started up at Bud's and in the day it was a restaurant. So yeah. Keith and Tim and I were able to go to that for a bit. And then the guys stopped coming. I don't know why it was because I think it was more blues centric. So I'd still go and I'd get up with the house band and sing like when a man loves a woman and and was they would let me come in. That was kind of my like big blues education was Buds on Broadway. They, the, the managers were really good to me. They let me come in at night and listen to the live bands. Um, and they just said, if the cops come, just have to go out the back door in the kitchen. No biggie. And that never happened. And, uh, um, and then I'd go every Saturday if I wasn't already gigging, like with my buddy John or whatever, and, and um, eventually got to be the bass player the house bass player at the jam session. So I was putting in, I probably had my 10,000 hours in close to it by the time I was 19 <laughs> playing these, playing this. So that was my exposure. So I was hearing some of the, the alligator uh, blues artists coming up. Eddie, um, uh, Eddie Clearwater came up. He, he, he had a bass player. I believe his name was cowboy and his bass had, I remember uh, he, they would let, they'd get me up to play a tune with them. They were so great. They were so supportive. Eddie Clearwater and um, I got to play bass for Eddie Van Shaw, so Eddie Shaw's son. Right. And uh, Eddie hired me to do a couple of New Year's shows with him because he, he came up. He had a, a, I don't know if it was his girlfriend or a really good friend, Patty, who lived in Saskatoon, but we uh, played together. And so I got this wonderful education. And, I, and then, of course, hearing Canadian blues artists um sue foley that's where i heard of sue um ellen McElwain. there were there weren't many female artists coming through it was mostly guys but so sue and ellen really stuck in my mind because you know it's like these are these ladies are out there and i i think for me when you when you ask me about you know was this what you saw yourself doing for a living i just i saw them doing it Again, it's that possibility. You see a possibility, but it also felt like it was so far away. I could never do that for whatever reason. I thought that I don't know, but I was out there doing it. I mean, I was playing with Tony and doing gigs with my jazz band and occasional Susie solo folky gigs at different venues and, and just doing it more and more and more and moved to Ottawa. I still had, I found a day job in Ottawa and worked a day job. I don't know. I just felt like I might not get enough music work to be able to pay the bills, but I, I uh, eventually just got to a point. I moved to Toronto and got into a whole bunch of projects. And it's sort of like I always liken it when I talk to students and that about how you can get by as a musician. Sometimes you got to do other things in order to help supplement. Oh, yeah. And I talk about there being two pies, and it's sort of like the gigs that you, the 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 work that you kind of extra work you have to do like 
I worked as a nanny. I cleaned houses. I worked um, doing admin work. I worked as a, a legal assistant at a law firm. And slowly that pie shrunk as the uh, music work in the other pie grew. And eventually it was like, pop, the little pie of other work was gone. And I was doing music full time, doing different things. But but that you, kept it interesting. So. Do you remember the moment where you decided I'm going to quit my day job or day jobs and dedicate to music full time? Yeah, I was probably in in my early 30s, and it was probably around uh, the, when the, my album 33 Stars came out around 2002, 2003, um, where I think I had been working full time at the uh, the law firm, and then. Um, and then a part-time, my, my old, I used to work for a film composer, Marty Simon, for close to two years. And I did admin work for him. And, um, but it was a cool, such a cool job because Marty was scoring music for film and television. And so part of my job involved watching television <laughs> and Mark and, and, um, uh, like making cue sheets and and uh, categorizing the cues, confirming the length of the cues that Marty had jotted down on his 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 draft sheets and that. So, so it was. That sounds funny. I get paid to watch television, but I kind of I did. I mean, I wasn't watching the television yeah. for content. I was listening for to music cues, but but it was still kind of cool. And I learned so much about that side of the industry and really enjoyed it. Actually, it was just neat to see television from a different side and how music figured into it. And then also learning about, um, Marty has a big, uh, company now where he represents music people that, uh, score films. Now he's not doing music scoring anymore, but he represents film composers and television composers who have big catalogs of shows to make sure that they get, uh, the royalties that they're due. Um, wow. so he has a system set up and it's, it's really cool. Um, so I learned a lot about the industry, like the other side of the industry from that. So, and I kind of like numbers, so it was kind of fun anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so I, I'm, I'm blathering on here, but it's, it's, it all kind of feeds into, I, Marty, uh, they needed somebody part-time there again. And I was full-time at this law firm and I, so I thought, I think I need to do less like the law firm and I will go back and work with Marty part time. And cause the music stuff was picking up, I was getting some jingle work and eventually, yeah, I just got to the point where I don't have time for this anymore. I just need to stick to doing all the music stuff. Cause I was in five projects and then I was doing, um, I, I think that might've been around the time I did some of my first work with riddle films who you work yeah. with yeah. Uh, when they videoed, um, Evelyn Perry, who I had been playing bass and singing backups for, for probably two, three years, um, on and off. And we shot a video at the Lula lounge. Right. So, um, yeah. And so I, all of these different little projects that fed the work I was doing and. Okay. So let's talk about the, well, let, let me ask you about the commercials, the jingle work, cause you've done sure. a bunch of that. How did that happen? Is it just cause your voice is so good or. <laughs> well, you know, I, I kind of, the first sort of thing that opened up for me, um, Blair Packham um, asked me to, if I could sing, um, cover a song by, I want to call them the Royal Crowns. And it was for a Disney movie. Um, and the singer 
the the actor in the film didn't sing, so they just needed me to sing the song for this particular scene. So it was sort of the first, my first actra gig that, um, and I had done jingle work actually going back in time in Saskatoon as well. So oh, okay. And so, so was it always singing, or was it also playing bass or guitar? In Saskatoon, it was just singing, um, and then in Toronto, I sang that that one for Blair, that, that song for the film. And it didn't end up making it into the film. They used something different, but whatever. I still got paid. And then um, I'm trying to think how, and I, I think when I did 33 Stars, I got to know, it was in Jeremy's studio, Canterbury Sound, was in the same space as uh, Thomas Neuspiel's uh, Jingle House, and I'm forgetting what the name of their company was. But I got to know them because I was coming up there and recording the record, and I think they invited me to come and audition for a couple of things. And I landed like a one single Tim Hortons jingle, and then I got invited to come back. They had a new campaign to come audition for the new campaign. And um, so then I ended up getting that, and it ended up, it was like, he said, this, this is a great one to get there. They'll probably keep you on board, you know, for a while. So it was one year and then two years and then three years and then four years and then five years um, of singing the Tim Hortons jingle, which was awesome. And in between, I got like a Knorr soup. I did a, a shopper's drug mart commercial. Um, I did an interact commercial for Steve McKinnon. That was cool because Steve had me play bass and play guitar and sing so so um and he'd written the music and uh so tell me about the approach to doing something like that like how different is that from what how you normally approach music um i mean it's just with jingles it's just a shorter little song and and steve you know if there's a the producer's going to have a sort of what they're going for in mind if they want more smile in the sound though no i don't think any of my toronto people said that the, some of the jingles i sang out west <laughs> can you put a little more smile in there i mean you need coaching yeah, yeah. um sometimes they're they, they want a particular sound you know always fresh always tim hortons can you put a little more smile in that always fresh <laughs> always tim hortons you know like you can hear you can hear the difference in that right just how it yeah, changes yeah, in a second yeah. so so you have to be coachable um and and uh and yeah they just they would just ask and you just try to give them what they're asking for and i think as a vocalist i know most of the times i would get that and and it was and and the the, the one jingle for interact was the only one that that i i think i actually played on but i was that was so cool to get to play on it I'm, thank you steve mckinnon for having me on board <laughs> it was and it, and it was such a sweet little jingle so I, I really liked it so and is it weird watching tv and all of a sudden or listening to radio and all of a sudden you hear it oh it's fun <laughs> <laughs> i was i remember getting my car washed um <laughs> in, in the in the east end of toronto and and um they had a little subway um sandwich shop attached to it so you they they'd take your car and then and uh, it would go through they'd do the wash and and, and do a, like a de little mini detail clean. I just, it was just nice to get that done every once in a while. And so I'd get a sandwich for lunch. And I remember being in the subway and, and the radio was playing and I'm like, oh, there's my jingle. <laughs> it's kind of cool. And, and uh, yeah, so that was fun. It's so fun. Uh, you, you talked about different projects and, and throughout your whole 
musical career, even at school, you were involved in Dixieland jazz, a little bit of classical, folk, rock, blues. Um, and you've kind of carried that through. And it seems like when you, even when you got to Toronto, you seem to be involved in a number of different kinds of music projects. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with in Toronto, and that that's what kind of was able to shrink my little um, administration, administrative work bubble and, and let the uh, music bubble take over. And I, you know, honestly, Mako, I probably could have let that happen 10 years before it did. But I, I think there was just a part of me that was afraid coming from a family of like blue collar, hardworking workers that that just and nobody ever said you can't do music for a living like no one ever said why don't you become a doctor or a lawyer my parents were super supportive but there was just something in me so in the projects in Toronto um it was cool to get these calls and all the projects were a little different I and I connected with everybody in kind of different ways with with um Vinick Shepherd Hart started in July of 99 and I had been hired to play bass and do some vocals for a woman named Lynn Elder, who uh, used to be Jan Arden's backup singer. Mm. And, um, and so, and I was playing this women's festival. So I think that that was part of the thing that, that uh, uh, got me that gig. And then Alana Hart, who I had heard of and she had moved to Toronto and we connected and anyway, Kim Shepard um, used to sing with Lynn in a band. So Kim and Lynn and I worked together for that festival. And then Kim and Ilana and I hung out for something and ended up doing this gig with Ilana. And our harmonies, like, were, it was so easy and it was so fun. And we ended up doing a bunch of shows, booking shows and, and writing a little bit and, and, touring around but we played uh, on and off from 99 to 2007 we did two albums so that was one of my projects so it was kind of like Vinick Shepherd Heart folk pop um 2001 I got a call from someone in Betty and the Bobs might have been Catherine Wheatley who I'd done some playing for played bass and sang some backups and um she asked if I'd be interested in doing some shows with them and so that that worked out great. That was really fun and kind of show tunes and um, songs that we wouldn't do in our normal projects or like Halloween theme shows and just right. seven people in a band. It's just, just uh, most of the time was just fun. And uh, so that was another project. And then I met my friend Rick Fines back in the nineties. So we were still doing occasional shows on and off and, Tony D and I would do like a, a yearly show together. We played together for a couple years in Ottawa and and then kind of went went our own ways, but but we've still we still do shows together. We did a show last Sunday. So um it's so so I so I had all these little projects going on and then I'd get calls like Evelyn. Evelyn and I met and she asked me to play bass and so I would do occasional shows with her and just everybody all the music was different sometimes like Evelyn is is uh her yeah just everything was just was different musically or um yeah it was just it was so cool so it kept kept all my little musical taste buds that you know bounced around from classical to to 
jazz to like classic rock. Like it kept all of them fed. <laughs> so I, I know that it's, um, I mean, it, it kept you working and obviously it probably introduced you to different kinds of audiences based on the fact that there were different bands and whatever. Did that ever work against you? Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess somebody who's who's far uh, who's watched my career uh, might say, you know, um, because I didn't focus on one particular genre. Like, I mean, I get people call me a blues artist, but I don't consider myself a blues artist. Though, if I have a blues festival to play at, I will be a blues artist at that <laughs> festival and choose my bluesier material and try to shape a show so that it suits that. Um, but I call myself a roots and blues musician because I've always loved more than just blues. Right. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've managed to have a pretty cool career and traveled and, and, uh, across North America and sometimes to Europe and, uh, have managed to wrangle a little property out here in the country and you know it's not like it's easy it's not like no um there's challenges as there are with any sort of so when you're self-employed you, there's always like okay where's my next gig coming from and that sort of thing but um so you know i'm not i'm not like a big famous rock star and maybe if I'd had a bit more focus on one genre and maybe more focus on Susie Vinick and less on all the other projects maybe I would be in a different place but the place I'm in's pretty good yeah, you know I mean, I, no and, and also even your albums your is not just one type of music yeah I have to say I mean when when Stephen Fearing um and I when I talked with him about producing the record for me he really he wanted to give it more focus so I do have to say when at my albums have had a bit more musical focus it's it's served me a little served me well that was my first Juno nomination and the album with Stephen Fearing had called Happy Here and so Stephen Stephen kind of held the reins back a bit so I, I wasn't belting out like a blues belter on it um, but I still sang like, but he just, he sort of, that was his sort of, he didn't want me to be like singing my face off, like, like really bluesing it up. He, he, he just wanted to give it, give the album a little more focus and, and, and it served me well. Like I got my first Juno nom and then, um, and I hadn't done an, like an official Susie Vinick blues album till my album me and mabel came out and when when i kind of did a little more of a focused blues album there came another juno nomination so in the blues category and and uh, the happy here nomination was in the roots and uh, uh roots contemporary roots right. so that i got that nomination in so so yeah and then and then the third i have a third juno nomination that was with my project that's what i didn't talk about the marigolds with right. Gwen Swick and Caitlin Hanford and um, another trio of, of female singers, but musically very different than than the, the folk pop of the Nick Shepherd Hart. Um, Mary Golds is more a little more country, a little bluegrass, little jazz figured in there, little blues figured in there too. We had some fun with that, but the three part harmonies and it really made me step up my game as a guitar player. 
Um, and because I did all the guitar leads in it. So, and whereas in uh, Vinick Shepherd Heart, I was bass player hmm. and it was not really get lead guitar oriented. It was more. So, so, so the marigolds, I have to remember that. My God, it's like so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they really, it really kicked my butt as a guitar player. It was great. And uh, doing my leads and that and trying to channel my inner Kevin Bright. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we actually, so yeah. The, the other thing is that throughout this whole time, you, you're writing songs and you also won the international songwriting competition, not once, but twice, which I think is pretty amazing. <laughs> Thanks, Marco. Yeah. It uh, was, yeah. Um, so tell me about the songwriting part. I mean, it sounds like it's something you did from very early on it's something that continue you continue to do but tell me about your songwriting yeah um i have been trying to up my game as a songwriter uh my whole career i mean like taking little workshops and things and i think in early 2000 i really especially dug in then and got involved with the songwriters association of canada every week they'd or every, is it every week or they'd have a thing called date with the tape and uh, literally a cassette tape. And you could bring your, your song in on cassette with the lyrics and they'd have a panel and then they would just pick from the box and play people's songs and, and uh, crit like critique them um, depending what they're looking for. If they're looking for a publishing deal or some help with structuring songs. So it was another little education. And I, I, um, would take their workshops and that just because I wanted to try to become a better songwriter and I still want to become a better songwriter. I mean, <laughs> I how, does that, how does that work? How does songwriting happen for you? Um, it doesn't happen often enough lately, to be honest with you. Um, but when it does, like I'm, I'm, I'm collecting ideas. It's funny. I was talking with a friend about this yesterday, the process and, and the focus and, um, I think and most I think a lot of songwriters and writers sort of generally will wake up and set aside a certain amount of time to sit and focus on their craft of writing. For me, I I will collect ideas and save them in my Gmail. I have songwriting snippets is my file there. And I'll email stuff to myself. So these are lyrics or are they, they might musical be just ideas? ideas? So it might be a title. It might be an idea. I might riff on something a little bit and then email it to myself. So it's all in one place. And I do, for whatever reason, for whatever is up with my brain, or I get too precious, I, I, I do more writing with other people. I do more collaborations than I do on my own. And I've been trying to develop my Susie Vinick solo songwriting uh, muscle. And um, I just, I keep taking workshops and that and trying to figure it out. And I I'm, haven't quite figured out the part that I need to break through as Susie is a solo songwriter. But I find I get lots of songs written when I work with other people. And, is there uh, anything wrong with that? I... You know, and it's funny. That's what my friend asked me yesterday, too, when I spoke with her. It's like there's just people. I mean, you think of Elton John, right? Yeah. Elton wrote the music and Bernie Taupin wrote the lyrics. And look at their amazing songs they came up with. So I don't think it's not a bad thing. There's just something in me that feels like I'll have really made it <laughs> in my in my own sort of self if I could just. Uh, 
So what, what what would be the so when you collaborate is it obviously it's both music and song I mean lyrics yeah yeah so what's what's the part that if you do it on your own like where where does it stop you <laughs> it's it's uh sometimes the words um, okay. I, I think music comes much easier to me than lyrics do. I certainly get ideas and they sometimes can be kind of quirky and and sometimes it's like I'll get it on paper and say it. I'm, I'll say it, but there might be a slightly better way of saying it, and I might not get that. So, so it's just being able to step back from the words and and uh, um, and be able to 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 not be so precious about it and and not be afraid to nip and tuck and and that sort of thing. And I get all that, but sometimes it's it's easy to to do that with somebody else's song sometimes because I'm not as attached. And I think that I, the more I write, it's like the more precious or i'm hanging on to it more that it's harder to to uh, to let go interesting um <laughs> i remember a number of years ago and i can't remember how many years ago but we were talking and you were telling me about an idea you had for the next album um which was cover tunes do you remember right. telling me this oh i have I, I don't know if it's the same idea i have in the back of my mind but um there's one, I, I want to call it Box of 45s. Yeah, yeah, when, that's the yeah, one. Is that yeah, it? Okay, yeah, yeah. and that, that may still happen, uh, especially having um, potentially a, you know, this recording studio at home and the ability with better internet now to be able to send <laughs> files to people like Kevin Bright <laughs> and, and others. But um, so when I was a little kid, um, my brother had this box of 45s that he gave to me and he didn't want them anymore. He was like seven years older than me. So I spent a lot of time with my little Mickey Mouse record player playing all these 45s and enjoying the hits of the seventies. Um, and I, and anyway, I, I think we got rid of that box of 45s, which I, I I've got to get over it. I have to let it go, <laughs> but I let it go. But I, I, um, was trying, I was thinking to myself, wouldn't it be fun to revisit that box of 45s? and re-record some of the songs that I really loved to listen to um, from that box. So I actually just did some Googling one day and was looking at the hits of the 70s and made, started making a list of, of the songs. And so now that actually might end up being like a Street Jelly theme show one day or something. I think it was Box of 45 Part 1 and play songs from that box. That might be a good thing to actually focus on. No, just as. But when he told me this, I was kind of surprised because I thought, well, he's a great songwriter. Why is she doing covers? Not, not that that really makes any sense. But I, I did think yeah. that in my, in my mind. Yeah. And if I, and I could be wrong because I don't trust my mind anymore as I get older. But, <laughs> but I think, I thought you had mentioned one song, which was, um, "Don't Call Us Wolf." Yeah, by Sugarloaf. Yeah, I thought, dun, wow. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and I just thought, well, of all the songs, I mean, to me. <laughs> Green Eyed Lady is their classic, but I love that song that you mentioned. So, um, but I was surprised that that would be the song that was in the box of forty fives. There's well, that's one of like I mean of yeah many with probably probably seventy five or a hundred little forty fives <laughs> in there. Elton John's Island Girl was in there. Um, God, Billy Don't Be a Hero would have been in there. Oh, probably, and I had an Andy Andy Gibb. Uh, 
Love is higher than a mountain. <laughs> love is thicker than water. I mean, all these songs I listen to, they've all shaped me. They're all part of my musical stew. So it's like everything I've listened to gets mixed up in in that big pot of music and comes out in some way or form. It comes out in a Susie Vinick way, whatever that yeah, will yeah. be. And and yeah. so when mm-hmm. when it comes out in your form, at what point do you know that this version of Country Roads or whatever is now your song? Um well I the thing I think I don't do anything exactly like like the recording because I'm I'm <laughs> kind of feel bad about this but I don't always sit down like even with blues blues music I've never sat down and like figured out exactly how um licks and that go I've kind of listened and interpreted the way my ears hear it so be it for blues because I feel bad sometimes like when I can't refer like if I play a lick and I don't know like Tony D would hear hear it and go, well, that's like sort of Albert Kingish, or, and I don't necessarily know that. I know some of them, like stuff that's Stevie Ray Vaughan-ish, or like it's Texas blues, or that's more Chicago blues and that sort of thing. Right. So um, when it comes to interpreting, I feel like, I, and it's funny because I people comment on that when I do the Street Jelly shows, that I tend to take something and make it my own. Right. So. I don't know how many my owns I have. Like I, I did, I did. I don't know if you know the Black Fly song or the the um, Ask Every um, another Wade Hemsworth song um, that somebody requested. Um, the Log Drivers Waltz. Right. So we go burling down. And it's it's burling down and down. Da da da. Yeah da da da. That's sort of typically how it goes. It's in three because it's a waltz, right? But I took it. Do 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 do. Like I take it and change it and and shape it differently and have some fun with it. So, which is which is a good thing because you make it your own. But exactly, does that yeah. come naturally, or does it come very easy? Um, I think that's kind of what I naturally do because I think my ears just hear things slightly differently than somebody hmm. else's ears might hear them. So I, I just kind of take it. I mean, I'm, I might I might uh, be limited, and I think though, having played jazz in my teens and we played some Latin stuff. We'd play some Thelonious Monk stuff, which has all these fun kind of quirky rhythms going on and occasionally songs in different time signatures. So that stuff is all kind of woven into my musicality a bit as a player. I kind of, I'm sad that I didn't keep up the jazz stuff, you know, because it kind of stopped when I moved to, moved out, um, to Ontario, I got more into blues and jazz kind of fell by the wayside. Though I would sing a bit here and there, but... Um, That's not to say that you can't go back to it at some point. No, no, but when I hear my friends who are have been playing jazz or gone to school and studied at McGill or Humber or something that have been playing it regularly, I kind of go... And that's part of the reason I haven't picked up the saxophone again, too. It's sort of like, uh, <laughs> I just feel like... I feel like I'm 12 <laughs> and, and you've got the skill set of a 30 year old. So I kind of don't want to, but you know what? I would love to try sometime. I think it'd be fun to be part of a horn section in a blues band because I get, I get how those riffs go and, 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 and the, just to be, to, to, to do the, uh, the backup horn parts, that would be just kind of fun. 
But right now, could you pick up the saxophone and and play like easily? I'd have to see, honestly, Mako, because I haven't <laughs> done it for so long. I don't know where my embouchure is at. There's sort of a, the musculature that you develop yeah, yeah. to play the saxophone. So I think my breathing-wise, it'd be fine because I'm a vocalist, but um, I don't think it'd be that pretty. I don't know. <laughs> but I'd like to get – I actually played in a wind ensemble too, and I played soprano saxophone in that. I'd like to get – I think it'd be fun to get a soprano sax. Just I loved the soprano sax that um, – I'm going to say Brantford Marsalis played on Sting's The Dream of the Blue Turtles. I used to listen to that album a lot, and I loved how Sting – fused the Branford Marsalis jazz sensibilities with his pop music and, and, and just wove that together. Yeah. Um, I love that. I can hear that, that in my head, that album I listen to so much and go back and revisit it sometimes. So. Wow. Yeah. Um, I should wrap this up. I want to thank <laughs> you for doing this. Mako, thank you so much. It's been fun. I'm sorry. I feel like I've been bouncing all over the place, but <laughs> kind of been sitting in, sitting in the old church here and like thinking about, about my musical life and, and all the places it's taken me. And I feel like I've forgotten, like, well, I forgot the marigolds for God's sakes, my, <laughs> my wow. second Juno nomination, but, 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 but it's like, they're all, all really, they're important. They are all really important parts. It's just like, just, sometimes there's so much and i can't remember it all but well there is a lot it's fascinating that you could you you kind of got involved in so many different things and continue to do so yeah i mean it's a little more Susie vinnick definitely more Susie vinnick oriented these yeah, days yeah. so i do occasional shows with rick vine still mary golds i mean nothing's happening now because of the of the pandemic but though i did play with tony d last sunday which was was awesome playing again <laughs> playing music with a buddy and i rick and i played back in september but but you know it's it's um it's pretty Susie vinnick focused just because i have to get my work booked and and uh um, and it's, it's just grown. Uh, my solo project has grown over the years, just as I've done more and more stuff. So, so yeah, sure. yeah, it's, which is great, but it is fun. Let me close to... off with one yeah. question. Is your car still running? My car is still running. It's just pushing 545,000 kilometers. We're super close. I think we're 200 kilometers away. <laughs> That's and crazy. Isn't that fun? It's 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 fun. The Hyundai <laughs> was so good. So so good to us. They sent us gift certificates for the keg at I think four hundred and eighty thousand kilometers or something like that. We'd like to send you a little something. It's like a new car? <laughs> but no, because <laughs> no, it's nothing, still running. Yeah, nothing's come yet, but uh for this but uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens with the next uh the next um kilometer uh <laughs> <laughs> milestone milestone exactly yeah i'll post it probably soon james will either one of us will be driving it <laughs> well thank you again for doing this mako thank you so much for having me and and uh if you get a chance let me know when um when you think you might air it and then i can share it on uh on my fan page and and stuff i appreciate it